Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. You could be anywhere else. You could, be, you could still be in bed, okay? And you're here. So thank you for being here this morning. Uh, if you have snuck in and we've not met before, my name's TJ. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, delighted that you would choose to worship with us this morning. I hope you have found the, the, the hospitality and the coffee to both be warm. Uh, we're so glad that you're here, and uh, we're going to talk about something today that I think is going to affect um, a good number of us. And if it doesn't speak directly to where you're at, maybe it'll help you um, to serve others better. Uh, it was the summer of 2015. Brooke and I were sitting in our dining room, and she was asking me a, a few questions, but it basically came down to this, what's wrong with you? And uh, she's asked that a few times in our marriage, but th- this time she was being serious because I was struggling. I wasn't motivated. I wasn't feeling creative. I, I love ministry, and my energy for ministry was low. It just, I just wasn't myself. And she's like, what's, what's going on with you? And as I began to try to answer that question, I don't think I could have even um, known this was what it was. I had not... I, I was kind of verbally processing and just answering what I thought was wrong. And what it came down to, I, I, at one point I said, you know, I don't think I've ever felt this way, but I am just very, in this season, I'm just very lonely. And um, loneliness is something that a lot of people deal with. I don't really deal with it all that often. I mean, I had to go back to 2015 to tell you a story about that one time I felt lonely. I'm an extrovert. Are there any extroverts in the in the house this morning, they're all like, me, and if I ask the introverts to raise their hand, they're like, I'm not doing it, you can't tell me what to do, um, but, but I'm an extrovert, and I have a very bad case of FOMO, if you don't know what FOMO is, fear of missing out, okay, I will do things I don't even want to do, because I got invited, and I'm like, I can't miss out, I have to go, um, so if you're ever like, hey, it's 10 p.m., I wonder what TJ's up to, yes, I will go to, I'll go to Huddle House, I'll do whatever, like, I'm total extrovert, spend uh, too much of my time probably just avoiding missing out. Um, so it's rare for me to feel lonely. It's just, I mean, I have other struggles. That's not really my, my struggle. However, it's, a, it's not a, a once every seven years thing for most people. And a lot of people are dealing with loneliness. They say that uh, the, the rate of loneliness has doubled in the United States since the 1980s, Okay. So whatever the loneliness scale was in the 80s, it has doubled since then. Recent uh, stats say that um, when it comes to chronic loneliness, like people that are dealing with loneliness that's really affecting their lives, 35% of people are in that category. So I want you to look to your left and your right, okay, if there's a person next to you on either side, statistically speaking, one in three, more than one in three of us are dealing with chronic loneliness. And, and you know, it's not hard to see why we, we don't talk to people. We don't spend time with people. Um, a survey asked how, people how many of them had talked to one of their neighbors in the past year, in the past 365 days. 8%. 8%. So 92% of us just close the garage door and do not speak, right? Like we do not even attempt to talk uh, to our neighbors. In 1993, how many of y'all remember 93? Okay, a few of you are younger than that. In 1993, the average American reported having six people in their life they would consider 
close friends, six, okay? In 2018, that number had gone from six to two. So somewhere in the, in the 90s, you lost four of your close friends, okay? And you have two close friends. In fact, 25% of people answered that question with zero. So again, I want you to look around, okay? You had a person on your left and right. Pick one more person, whoever your favorite is, okay? Either direction. One in four people are saying, I have zero close friendships. Now, those numbers are from 2018. I don't know if you've paid attention. Some things have happened in our world since 2018. I cannot imagine that the loneliness factor has gone up, has gotten better uh, since the pandemic began. George Gallup, Gallup Research, Gallup Polls, very uh, renowned uh, researcher, he says this, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. What, what an unbelievable fact, right? That the richest country in the world, all these different things, would be the loneliest. How can we be lonely? We have Snapchat streaks. Why is that hard to say? Snapchat streaks. That's not hard to say. Okay, we have Snapchat streaks. We have FaceTime. We are the most connected people of all time. How are we lonely? But actually, it seems that technology, while it has lots of benefits, I love technology, it is making us lonelier, and it's actually producing more feelings of loneliness and isolation. Uh, big reason for that is that digital communication decreases in-person communication. I mean, that's just kind of basic math. Every, we only have so much time. Every hour we spend looking at a screen is an hour we cannot spend looking at a human being, right? And so in some senses, we just have less time, but then we also feel the need less, right? So the social media or texting or whatever we do to communicate with our friends uh, kind of inoculates us into thinking, well, we've done it. We have friends. We've spent time with them. We don't really need face-to-face conversation. We've been texting all day. And yet, by and large, we are getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. How many of us, without, just let's just be honest, we can be honest at church, okay? Um, how many of us have been sitting across the table from somebody at a restaurant and not even noticed, and next thing you know, both of you are playing on your phone, okay? Um, maybe you are driving through Poplar Bluff, land of great drivers, right? And you're driving through Poplar Bluff and you catch a red light, which feels like persecution, doesn't it? It just, how dare I get a red light, right? But you stop at a red light and rather than sit there for 15 seconds in silence, right? I mean, this would be a good time to just check my notifications real quick and then somebody honks at you, right? So you'll go. Um, maybe you're giving the kids a bath and, you know, you're making sure that they are staying, their heads are above water, but you're texting or checking notifications or scrolling TikTok or whatever, and you don't even think about it. It's, 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 a, it's a problem, right? It's a problem. We are the most connected people ever and the loneliest people ever. Something's got to give. It's gotten bad enough that um, the British Parliament in the UK, they have appointed, this is government dollars going towards a person whose title is this, Minister of Loneliness. It's not even like just mental health or whatever. It's specifically the Minister of Loneliness. They're pouring resources into that because they consider loneliness uh, an epidemic. 
Research shows that loneliness is worse for your body. It has a greater impact on your lifespan than obesity. Um, it has ties to heart disease, dementia, anxiety, depression. And one study says that loneliness, chronic loneliness, is worse for you physically than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Right? So it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, cool name, Vivek, um, he talks about pathology. In other words, a pathology is, you know, study of the cause uh, and effects of a disease or injury or whatever, right? How does, it's a path. How does, how does it happen? And he says, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Loneliness is the great pathology of our time. So let me say it this way. It's killing us. Loneliness is literally killing us, mind, body, soul. It's, it's destroying people. The truth is we are hardwired for friendship. We need friendship. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we need friendship. And if you're one of the few and the proud who think, not me, I don't need friends, you've just been lied to. Or you've gone through something painful, traumatic, or, or whatever, and, and you've believed, like, I can't do that again, so I'll just, I'll just do me. I'll just go solo. It's not going to work. It's not going to last. You are designed for relationship. And, and, and these things in our, in our hands, right, they convince us that everything we're doing is relational and, and everything we're doing is connection, but a lot of it is just a substitute. Instead of going out and laughing with our friends, we just watch a couple hours of TikToks. Instead of talking to the people sitting on our couch, we are sitting on our couch and texting someone else who's sitting on their couch and ignoring the other people in their house, right? And of course, like to, to get into the darker side of things, a substitute for what God has designed as, as marital intimacy between a husband and a wife, you know, we find substitutes for that in pornography or whatever. Um, video games, I love video games, okay? I play video games. I'm 35 years old. I still play video games. I don't live in my mom's basement, though, okay? Um, I play my own video games on my own TV. Um, but, but I love video games, but they, they fool us into a sense of accomplishment, right? We think, I won. I, beat, I, I won the game. I, beat the, I won the race. I killed some zombies, maybe even online with friends, right? So there's this sense of accomplishment, but it's not real. And so we have all these substitutes that, that make us think that we're connecting and we're not connecting. And science backs this up. Scripture backs this up. You have relational needs that cannot be overstated. They've done brain studies on like, it's smarter than me. I can't, I'm, I'm not, I don't do brain studies, okay? But they've done studies and there's certain parts of the brain that like kind of light up during certain activity or whatever. And so there's a part of the brain that, that lights up when you're, acting socially, when you're interacting with people, when you're thinking about a friend, whatever, you're having a conversation, you have a cup of coffee, you hang out with your kids, there's a part of the brain that's activated. There's different parts of the brain for, you know, math or driving or whatever, right? And so they found that if you give a human being a three-second math problem, that part of the brain comes on long enough to do the math problem, and then when it's done, for some of us, it might be 30 seconds, let's be real. I'm not a math guy. But when it's done, the brain, without any prompts, 
will shut that part of the brain off and default right back to the relational part of the brain. Even infant brains that they've studied do this. Let me, let me bring it down to ground level, okay? This morning, before you came here, some of you took a shower. Thank you. Um, you took a shower, and in the shower, you are not solving fake math problems. You were winning fake arguments, weren't you? I know you, right? We, this is what we do. We, we are always thinking about our relationships, our interactions, our conversations, our friendship, our marriage, our boss, whatever. We are always thinking um, relationally. And scripture affirms this as well, that we're designed for this. God made the world and everything in it, and it was without sin and without sickness and without popular bluff traffic or drivers and without disease and without bad weather, and he made a human being, and that human being is on a perfect planet with greater intimacy with God than we can even imagine, and God decided that perfect paradise was actually slightly imperfect. He looked at everything and said, it is not good for man to be alone. Well, wait a minute. He's not alone. He's got you, God. He's got all the animals that you let him name. He's got paradise, and he's got you. So many of us have convinced ourselves that, that faith is just a us and God thing, and that's enough, and we don't need people. But God himself looks at a perfect planet and, and a human being that's never sinned and has perfect relationship with himself and says, this is not good, this is not enough. Isn't that crazy? God decided Adam needed more than just God. He needed human companionship. Jesus says there's two great commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, eyelashes, right? Everything you've got. But secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. There's this relational component. Love God, love people. We need this. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the wisest man that ever lives, ever lived, right, besides Jesus. King Solomon says it. Simply, he says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And anyone that's ever moved a couch said amen. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And anyone that's ever gone rollerblading or ice skating said amen. Likewise, two people Lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord or a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're better together. We're stronger together. We're more likely to get out of a jam together. We're less easily defeated together. We're warmer together. I don't, don't take that too far, okay? We don't, need to, we don't need to be snuggling up with just anybody, right? But we're better together. Let me say something, and it's kind of got like a little bit of shock statement, and I don't want you to take it out of context, but I want you to hear it clearly. Loneliness is not just unhealthy, it's ungodly. Loneliness is not just unhealthy, it's ungodly. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, well, if you're lonely... It's because you're ungodly, you old sinner, you know? It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's the lonely person's fault even necessarily. But a lack of vulnerable, authentic friendship 
is not going to make you more like Jesus. True loneliness, true aloneness, true lack of friendship is the devil's playground. He would love to get you isolated so that he could ruin your life. Friendship is a need that is placed in us by God, and it's not just put in us after the fact. It's what he made us out of. The Bible says that before there was ever a human being on the planet, God himself was a community already. Father, spirit, son. A three-corded strand, right? Already. And, and God decided, the Trinity decided, let us make man in our image. So God made us in his image. We didn't come from chaos, accident, nothingness, emptiness. We're not made in the image of loneliness. We're made in the image of friendship. We're made from harmony. We came from community. We came from communication. We came from love. God is a perfect, harmonious relationship, and he made us in his image. You say, well, I'm an introvert, pastor. doesn't matter. You're made in the image of God. The introverts, extroverts, listen, I love people. I'm an extrovert. I love hanging out with people. Some of the best friends in my life are introverts. They're better listeners than me. They're awesome. It's not about your, your personality type or disposition. It's not like, well, actually, I'm an Enneagram 4, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. God has made all of us to need friendship. It's going to look different, right? Some of you are never going to want to have 30 people at your house. That's okay. Some of you are terrified of just being one-on-one -on -one with somebody. We're all different, but we all need friendship. And any core need that we have, the enemy's going to come along and try to remove that, destroy it, distract us, distort it, substitute it, right? Convince us we don't even need it. He loves to do that, to separate us, isolate us, make us think we're alone and we're better off that way. And whether you're alone and content and cool with it, comfortable, or you're alone and upset about it and lonely and grieving, either way, the, Satan has you right where he wants you, which means right where or not where God wants you. And I want to be where God wants me to be, okay? And God doesn't want us to be lone rangers. He doesn't want us to fly solo. He wants us to be in relationship. Of course he wants us to know him. That's our first core value, know God. But our second is share life. And God has designed us to do that. He wants us to be known by other people and to know other people. We can't really be happy without that. We can't really be ourselves we can't be who we were made to be in the image of God without friendship. Andy Stanley said it this way. Your friends will always determine the quality and direction of your life. And it's true. I, I can see in my life, man, like my friends have made all the difference. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for the relationships in my life. So we're going to talk this morning quickly about what friendship looks like, how it's formed, and then how it's maintained and then some of the obstacles we face, and we're going to give you a new challenge. If you haven't been here, um, we, we, this series is called Trellis. It's named after that, thing, that wicker thing in your grandma's backyard that she used to grow plants on, right? That's a framework that directs a plant where to grow. This series is a framework of habits on how to make our lives go the way that we want them to go. We already have habits that are giving us the results that we have. So if we're lonely, we should look at our structure, okay? And we're going to build differently. We're going to structure differently 
for each of these challenges. So we've done challenges about prayer and fasting and Bible and before phone and all this different stuff. Today we'll have a new one. Um, C.S. Lewis, some of you know the author C.S. Lewis, he said, most friendships start with you two. I thought I was the only one. That's how friendships start. Right? You, you meet someone, you're like, oh, you went to that school? You're from that town? Oh, you like that band? You watch that show? You love that team? Your kid goes to that school? Like most of our friendships start with, oh, you too, me too, right? This is how it happens. Maybe it's where we work or the town we're from or I have friends that we just happen to play basketball at the same gym or get our hair cut at the same place. Many of the best friends in my life, they showed up to this church and they just came to the church. They weren't looking for friendship with me. They were just looking for a church, but we've become friends. And I have friends that are friends because of all kinds of stuff, right? Um, some of you are going to think this is silly, but I just want to show you how, like, friendship starts with me too, but it can turn into other stuff. I, am, I talk about it a lot. Some of you are sick of hearing about it. I am a huge huge, unhealthily huge Chicago Bears fan, okay? I, and I'm, I am a big Chicago, I'm a, I'm a large human being that's a Bears fan, but I'm also a big Bears fan. And uh, it, for no reason, really, they're not, they don't reward my faithfulness. Um, but I'm a big Chicago Bears fan, and so because of that, you take, I'm a big Bears fan, and I'm an extrovert, okay? So if I'm out in public and I see somebody in a Bears hat, my wife would love for me to just say nothing and go, did you see that guy's bear's hat? Yeah, okay, so what, right? I can't do it. I can't help it. There's something inside of me. I have to talk to them, right? I have to be like, go bears, at least. I have to say something. I would rather have a full-on conversation, but I I've got to talk to them. Well, eventually, you know, I'm like, man, I keep talking to all these strangers. I wish I could get to know them. I wish I, you know, what do you do? Hand them a business card? Like, how do you, what do you do? So, I did the only logical thing I knew to do. I started a Facebook group. And so there's a Facebook group called Chicago Bears Fans of Poplar Bluff. It's a very niche group. There's about, there's about 30 of us, okay? Um, and we don't have anything in common, many of us, except for we all love a team that won a Super Bowl in February of 1986 and nothing since then. Now, February 86, Bears won the Super Bowl. I was born in May 86, so I was on the bandwagon, right? I, when I was born, the Bears were Super Bowl champions three months ago. They haven't done it since then, right? It's my fault, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, we're, we're you know, I start the group, and we've had get-togethers and stuff. It's been cool. It's been cool. One night, we're leaving uh, McAllister's, okay? We're leaving McAllister's. Shout out, Bluff First people owned and operated McAllister's. All right, we're leaving McAllister's, and I see a car, and they've got this cursed or kind of cool-looking cool C sticker on the back of their car, and I'm like, it's faded, so I'm like, is that Cincinnati or Chicago? I got to get a better look, and I look, and sure enough, it's a Bears fan, and apparently they've been one for a while because the sticker's pretty faded, right? And I'm like, Brooke, it's a Bears fan, and she's like, so what? Get in the car, you know? And I'm like, well, I, um, eh. and she's like, are you going to go inside and be like, well, the owner of, uh, you know, like... Just let it be, you, you know, and I was like, no, give, give, give me the receipt, give me the receipt. And so I take the receipt and I write on the receipt, you should join Chicago Bears fans with Poplar Bluff on Facebook, blah, 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 and I stick it on their windshield wiper, okay, on their, on their dash. It's ridiculous, right? But I have to meet them. I have to, you know, I just have to. And so later, a couple hours later, somebody joins the Facebook group, and I'm like, it's them, right? So I, I message them whatever, didn't know them, never met them. 
They don't go to church here. They still don't go to church here. It's fine, whatever. Since then, we've become friends. They gave us baby gifts. We gave them Christmas gifts. Uh, I, I might be doing their wedding, okay? It started with, oh, you're a Bears fan too, okay? And so most friendships start that way. They start with you too. But if you don't put any work into that, it's just an acquaintance. It's just a, oh, go Bears, right? These people have become our actual friends. That takes work. And see, this is part of the reason that the, the, the digital version of friendship is so attractive. You don't have to be a creep and leave a note on a windshield at McAllister's. You can just get online and find other people, people who live in Chicago that like the Bears or whatever, right? But I wanted to meet the people that actually live around here that I could actually be friends with. So how do we do that? How do we, um, you know, what does it take to keep it going from, from uh, just a me too, we, us too, whatever, common ground to a real friendship? I would suggest to you this morning that all it takes to develop friendship is time and vulnerability. And I realize those are two very difficult things to give another human being. But time and vulnerability. In the Common Rule, uh, great book, um, uh, Jason Whitmore Early, I think his name's Jason, he defines uh, friendship as vulnerability across time. Like vulnerability and time turn people who are acquaintances into friends. So I would suggest that, that the best way to do that is not, you know, through any means other than just actual conversation. Digital stuff is great, it can, it can be a good, you know, whatever, but it's not the same as face-to-face -face conversation. Talking to somebody through your phone is not the same as talking to someone face-to-face. -face. And any of you that have ever tried online dating know that's true. It's different face-to-face, -face, right? When there's no filter, you don't get to calculate how you talk to someone. Like, talking to someone face-to-face -face is a different experience. It's a scary experience, right? Because no, there is no filter. You can't edit it. You, they're not going to stand at your best, most flattering angle when they talk to you. Like, they're going to see the real you. Um, but that's, that's the point, right? That's the necessary part of relationship. Mortimer Adler said, without communication, there can be no community. Without communication, there can be no community. The practice of conversation is the basis of friendship. You get to know someone by talking to someone and hearing what they care about, hearing what they're dealing with, hearing what they love, hearing what they laugh at. This is how friendships are formed, okay? Again, million common denominators that could start the friendship, but all of those even get discovered through conversation. Now, this is a struggle. I'm a talker. I'm an extrovert. Friendship in that way is easy for me. I say awkward stuff, put myself in dumb situations, put my foot in my mouth a lot because I talk to anyone, but... Friendship's kind of easy. Some of us, it's like, I don't know how to talk to someone. I don't know how to ask a question. I don't know what I would do if I had to sit across from somebody and have a face-to-face -face conversation. I would rather just text. I get that, right? I get that. But it's no substitute for the real thing. You don't get to be your true self online. You just can't. You're putting your best foot forward. I mean, listen, when I was in high school, um, not to date myself, but when I was in high school on MSN Messenger, okay, I was, I had a way with words with the ladies, okay? I was smooth. And in person, I was a trembling coward, okay? Like, I, I was terrified to speak to a girl in real life. So what did it, what it didn't, I didn't accomplish a whole lot with all of my, um, you know, direct messaging. I didn't really, 
get anywhere. Um, so we want to we wanna have real relationships, real friendships through real conversation. So here's the next challenge. We've challenged you to pray three times a day or fast once a week or read the Bible before you open your phone in the morning. Here's the next challenge. It might look different for different people, but the next challenge is this, a weekly hour of conversation with a friend. A weekly hour. Now, for some of you, you already know who it is. It's one person. You're going to be intentional. It's going to be them every week. For some of you, you're going to FaceTime your cousin in Hawaii once a month, and then you're going to try to set up a once-a-month coffee with a friend, and you're going to start having lunch with a coworker once a month, and it might be a few people. But I want to challenge you to, to give an hour a week to friendship. And again, as we've been saying all series, this is not an attempt to just add chores to your life that you can feel guilty about. It's an attempt to structure the trellis of our life in such a way that we get what we want. If we see our God-given need for a relationship, let's invest in relationship. If we're lonely or we don't have those kinds of friends, the system we already have in place is leading to that result. So we're going to have to change something to get a different result. And I want you to notice that the, the challenge is not just make more friends or have better friendships. Those are outcomes. I want to give you an input goal. You can't decide whether or not you make a best friend this week, but you can decide whether or not you invest an hour into what might lead to friendships. Maybe it's, you know, sitting down, unplugging your phone, spending an hour of conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's that friend that every time you see him, you're like, we need to get together, and you never do. Maybe it's a standing coffee date. Maybe it's, um, you know, bring your kids over to play with their kids and, and, and have a little bit of conversation. Maybe it's a coworker you can just get lunch with. I don't know what it is for you, but that's the challenge. It's an hour a week. And some of you are like, I, don't, I, can't, I could never. I don't have the time. There's this awesome thing on your phone called screen time. And you can go and look and see how many hours a week or how many hours a day you spend on which apps on your phone. I would love for you to look at that and then come back and tell me there's no way you can find an hour a week. Most of us probably uh, are spend, we could, we could probably get rid of an hour a day on these things. And so that's the challenge, an hour a week to invest into friendship. If friendship requires vulnerability, that's going to require conversation. That's going to require time. How do we do that? How do we find time? Right? We, we don't feel like we have the time. We have to practice the courage of initiating conversation and we have to prioritize time. It takes discipline. We have a million distractions, okay, but an hour a week can make a big difference and you're not going to trip and fall into an hour conversation. You're going to have to grab that time. You're going to have to make that time. And as you do, I believe that you're going to grow in your relationship with God at the same time because friendship embodies the story and the power of the gospel in a way like very few things um, can. God has designed us in such a way that our relationships reflect our relationship with him. Our stories reflect his story. So the, as you have kids, you love them and you learn about your father, God. As you have friendships, you learn about Jesus who is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. As you have a marriage, a spouse, you learn the relationship between Jesus and his church is like a bride and a groom. You, you learn about God through your relationships. What is the gospel if not that Jesus knows how messed up we are and he sticks around to love us anyway? And so what is a friend 
except someone who knows how broken we are and yet sticks around to love us anyway. This is what all of us need. It's what all of us want. And it's what few of us invest the necessary time in to accomplish. So that's the challenge, right? To, to, to not just wish and hope that we had friends, but to do the work to cultivate them over time. You might already have people you feel safe with. You just don't have time with them. It's going to be a little easier for you. Some of you, you don't even have the person that you feel comfortable with yet. So you're going to have to throw some darts and spend some time and see who that is and figure that out. And it's hard. This last year has been so hard on us relationally. You know, as an extrovert, as a person, I, I want to have game night. I want to have people over. I want to hang out. Um, and, the church, you know, praise God, the church is growing. But that just means more new faces that I'm like, who are they? I want to get to know them. And, and there's not enough time, right? We feel spread too thin. And the world would always have us work on something else. Friendship never seems urgent. It always seems like a bonus. So most of us live our lives not worrying that much about friendship until it's too late. And then we find ourselves in a crisis. And then we're like, well, I would reach out to them, but we haven't talked in months. I don't want to just call them when I need something. And so we continue the cycle and we continue to be lonely. Investing an hour a week into face-to-face conversation is aimed directly at that problem, at that struggle. In your most demanding times, you have a newborn, you have a death in the family, you have a big thing going on at work, you have a a parent or grandparent whose health is declining, whatever it is, we tend to sacrifice friendship in the time that we need it the most. We tend to ignore friendship in the time that we need it the most. Proverbs 27, you've probably heard this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I want to be sharper. I want to be better. I want to be more like Jesus. And it's not going to happen just because I've got good ideas. I need the friction that comes from relationship and friendship to sharpen me. I need somebody asking me tough questions. I need someone who knows the real me and isn't fooled by my Instagram, okay? I need friendship. We need this. We need people that we can talk to face-to-face. We need friends that can ask us, hey, is there anything you're not telling me? Now, um, I would suggest that not be your opener, okay? So, like, if you're like, man, great sermon, Pastor. I'm going to go make a friend this week. There's this guy at work I've never talked to. I'm going to invite him to lunch. And you go, and you, hit, you get your food, and you sit down, and you go, is there anything that you're not telling me? You know, like, that's probably not a good starting point. But you're building, right? You're investing. You would be surprised an hour a week talking to someone. You do that for the next two, three months. You're going you're gonna to feel comfortable telling them anything in the world if they're a trustworthy person. If they're not, you're probably going to pick a different person to spend that time with anyway, right? But if you will invest time into friendship, you'll find people that you can tell anything to. And if you're actually committing and disciplining yourself to find time, you actually will tell them everything, because it happens in friendship, right? People are going through their lives, dealing with major stuff, and then their whole life falls apart, and they hadn't talked to anyone, they hadn't told anyone. That's a tragedy. And it shouldn't be taking place in the church. We should be better. We know better, okay? So if you're struggling, reach out to somebody. Spend time with somebody. And when somebody asks you, is there anything going on, be honest. Get it out there, right? Don't let it lay in the darkness. Fear keeps us from friendship, hurt keeps us from friendship, but busyness might be the serial killer of them all. Busyness, 
we don't find time. Find the time. It's worth it. Pastor Nate comes. Um, I want to wrap up this morning with a passage. I've shared it many times, but it's just so powerful to me. James chapter 5 um, talks about healing and talks about how to heal, not just physically, but how to heal from our sin and our struggle and the things that we deal with in life. And, you know, we tend to sing songs about God as a healer, and, and he is, and that's awesome. But James chapter 5, the younger brother of Jesus, puts an interesting spin on our journey and our process to finding uh, healing and freedom. And he says this in James chapter 5. He says, confess your sins to one another. And we know we're supposed to confess our sins to God, but he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. And we're not righteous because we're good. We're righteous because Jesus has cleansed us of our sin and made us righteous. James says, confess to one another, pray for one another. Here's, here's the truth. We go to God for forgiveness. God forgives us of sin, but he tells us to go to each other for healing. God says, I'll forgive you, but you need to work this out in relationship. You, for you to get healed, you need friends. You need people you talk to. And I'm so grateful I've had this in my life. Um, it's embarrassing to talk about. Brooke knows all my stories, so you don't have to worry about her. But I've said a couple times in my life that I just did stupid things, and I had to call a friend. I had to phone a friend. Um, I had to run an errand out of town one time, and I popped in this business and uh, dropped something off and got in the car. And 10 minutes later, it's like light bulb goes off that I realize I've spent the last 10 minutes looking through this business's Facebook page, um, just hoping to catch a second glimpse of a pretty girl working behind the counter. And I'm like, am I really doing this? I mean, I wasn't gonna, it's not like I wasn't gonna friend, I wasn't even gonna message, I was just, just wandering eyes. And I'm like, I'm so stupid, what am I doing? So I picked up my phone and I called Kevin Brown. I said, Kevin, I know this is dumb. I know it's Tuesday, you know, but here's what I did. I just don't want my heart to go any further than that. I know it's not going to go farther, further than that, but I just, I, I, I don't want to ever get in a place where I'm doing stuff like that and I'm thinking that way and I don't tell anybody and it gets worse. So I called him and he confessed and he prayed for me and we're cool, right? Then um, I'm out of town. Something about being out of town, I don't know. Like some of y'all have bluff first stickers on your car and in Poplar Bluff you drive and two, and you're very godly, and then like you're in St. Louis, you're like, nobody knows bluff first around here, and you drive like, <laughs> you got road rage, right? Um, but I, I was out of town again, and I, we were actually, we were up close to Chicago, we were going to Bears practices, getting autographs and stuff, and it was our last day, and I got super sick, like my nose was like a faucet, I mean, I couldn't even sit up straight without just, just drainage, it was so bad, so I, my family's going in a store that sells bear stuff, and I stayed in the car. That's how sick I was. So I stayed in the car, and Brooke bought this toy for Staley slide thing, whatever, big bulky thing. And so she brings it out, and I'm like, yeah, I'll load it up, whatever. You know, I've got tissue shoved up my nose and everything. And I pick the thing up, and I turn the corner and put it in the car, and I look back, and I scratched the car next to me. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, it's not McAllister's, right? I can't just go in and page the person. I'm like, how am I going to find them? Whatever. I should have left a note on the windshield. I'm good at that, right? 
Um, but just being honest with you, I'm supposed to be your pastor. I looked at it, I looked around, Brooke didn't see it, Dalton didn't see it, nobody saw it, I was so sick, and I was like, they got a nicer car than me anyway, they'll be fine. And I got back in the car and I didn't do anything. And it ate me up for weeks. I mean, I feel like I killed somebody. I spent three weeks like, I can't believe I did that and I can't undo it, I can't find them, I can't fix it. So I call, I call Jason Jordan. And I go, dude, I know this is dumb. It's embarrassing. I got to get it off my chest. It's killing me. And he reminded me of the truth of the gospel, that we're all idiots, and we all sin. We all fall short. And God knew that way before he decided to, to sacrifice his son for us and love us anyway. So he just reminded me I'm forgiven. He reminded me, and I learned from it. I haven't done it again, you know. It was a scratch in your car. It wasn't me. Um, but we need people that we can tell anything to. We need this. And and your relationship with God started with a conversation. It started with hearing the word, believing it, and then confessing with your mouth. It started with a confession. And it might just be that your friendships start that way too. Stand with me if you would. I've gone long, I'm sorry. Um, God, would you help us? If there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, I pray their friendship with you would start right now, that you would start that conversation with their heart right now. But for many of us in this room, God, we know you, but we're, we're going through our lives so busy, and, and, and honestly, we're lonely. We're struggling to have the kind of friendships we want to have. Or maybe we have some friends that we spend time with, but they don't know you, and so we don't get the same kind of quality of friendship and advice that we, we feel like we need. God, would you begin to just lay names on our heart of people that we need to reach out to and we need to spend time with? Or maybe it's people in our circle that need us. Would you show that to us? And God, would, we just, would you just send us out of this place as a whole army of ministers of loneliness? May we just go out and make a difference. One in four people say they have no close friend. That should not happen in Poplar Bluff on our watch. So help us, God. Show us what we can do. Make us more like you. Let, us, let today be the day our friendships, our relationships begin to change. Not because we feel guilty because we've made our hearts and our eyes open to your truth, that we are made for friendship. Jesus, you're the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing. These altars are open if you need prayer. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, please visit us on Facebook or at bluffhurst.com.